Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, my guest is David Hoffman, the chief creative officer and founder of Citizen Racecar. And today, we're actually going to be talking about how to make your content better. So five ways that we can turbocharge our content. Welcome, David. Thank you, Rhea. It's very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I know you're a podcaster as well, so I was admiring your equipment. Yeah. That sounds a little racy, but really, your equipment is <laughs> <just> great. <laughs> Come for the microphone. You know, it's not the size of your microphone, Rhea. Uh, <laughs> all right, David, tell me a little bit about yourself and Citizen Race Card because folks out there should definitely know your work. So I am an artist by training. I was a musician, a composer. I did some visual art. And I founded this company nine years ago an attempt to sort of bring some of those skills as a creator, as a storyteller, to play with the things I was doing professionally at the time, which were as a producer of things like events. And so we started off in the audio sphere. That was sort of the technical training I had had, producing podcasts and audio content for people. Very shortly after that, added videos to the slate of services. And we've been going great guns ever since. About 90% maybe of our work is with nonprofit organizations. And we've worked with some great ones. Our first big client was the New York Academy of Sciences. Worked with the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. A bunch of wildlife conservation organizations actually. Conserve Wildlife Foundation of New Jersey. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which is part of the federal government we've done. We're actually in the middle of a pre-production for a big project for them right now. We've done some amazing stuff with patient education, really all kinds of different things of trying to apply these skills of good storytelling to the challenge of getting better engagement, better response, better support for organizations. So before we get into the meat of this, I just want to be clear with everyone that what we're talking about today is how to improve the quality of your content and your storytelling, not sort of how to get ad placements on social media or anything like that. Yeah, this isn't about PR because that's not my expertise. It's really about production and storytelling and how do we going to make a thing. We need a video for our website. We need something for our virtual gala. We need a new brochure for a direct mail piece. How do we think about the storytelling aspect of that in a way that's going to make it really effective? Yeah, David, I would imagine in all this COVID nonsense, your business is booming because we're all digital now. Like We can't actually have the face-to-face conversations that we used to have. I am pleased and embarrassed to say yes. We are doing very well right now because I know a lot of people aren't. But it was actually a funny thing. We were very slow in the spring and early summer, as I think the entire world was, because there was this big pause and everybody, I think, was a little a little shy about spending what resources they did have. And I think they were kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. And then about July, I felt like a big switch clicked. The whole got world. to work. Well, they said, we're going to be doing this for a while. Right. We need to figure out how to do it. We do need to make that video. We need to... Yeah. Content for a website. We need that social media campaign because we can't wait anymore. Since July, my team and I have been busier than we've ever been. Yeah, it's funny. All of us starting around August, everyone has been blowing up my spot about digital galas and virtual galas. I'm like, I can't with that. Let's get into this though. Sure. The thing that I am passionate about is good storytelling. And I feel like we just need to define what makes a good story before we get into all of your suggestions about how to turbocharge your media. How do you define storytelling and what makes a good story? In the simplest sense, I think a good story is one that makes you want to keep listening. Mm -hmm. One that makes you want to continue to know more. I think the best storytellers are page turners. 
mm-hmm. are ones where you can't put it down. You can't look away. Mm-hmm. Um, and where the end of a piece makes you want the next piece. Mm-hmm. I want to know more now. And I think that goal of just engagement, there, there's lots of roads to do that. There's a lot of different kinds of stories you can tell. But I think that's the common thread for me is at each point, you continually want to get to the next thing. It draws you through rather than saying, all right, I'm done. I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Thank you. I'm moving on to something else. You know, it's interesting. I've been thinking about storytelling a lot, not the least of which because I actually teach some of this in my trainings, but I just posted a podcast with Mike Kim and he explained it like normal life explosion new normal, right? And we certainly as a country and as a world have experienced a number of explosions. 2020 has been full of explosions. A mistake that I see a lot of folks making is that they spend a lot of time talking about the old normal, right? Like we were founded in 1973 and blah, 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 blah. Like I don't care. I need you to start at the point at which the world exploded because that is the thing that's going to keep my attention. That's the thing that's going to keep me turning the pages. I think there is a story that not for all nonprofit organizations, that, but works really well. And it's always a good place to start thinking about a narrative, which is there is this tremendous problem. Establish that current, that's the first beat. The second beat is current solutions as they existed were inadequate to solving it. We have a new solution, mm-hmm. which is going to make this better. And now look at all the good we've done. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stories you can tell, but that's a good one of just establishing the problem, showing that you have the right tools to solve that problem, and then showing the solution in action. A good way to start thinking about this of like... Because storytelling also is sort of about tension and release, the way Mm -hmm. the music of about establishing a problem, establishing a solution. And I think you want to make yourselves and your donors and your supporters the heroes of that story. Right. We are going to slay that dragon. There is this amazing thing, but we have the tools. Your donation is the tool that is going to slay this dragon, solve this problem, move on to the next, a better world because you're doing that. And I think thinking in those kind of narrative terms can be useful for sure. Yeah. Got into this whole game sort of around the same time that the world of nonprofit fundraising was very much turning to metrics as the driver of conversation. And so, and not that I don't think metrics are important, obviously I do, but, you know, bombarding me with like a 15 page deck of all sorts of graphs, it's not the way to my heart. And I would guess not the way to most folks' hearts. Well, that's actually a perfect segue because that is exactly the first of my five points that I Okay. You asked me to organize this as a audio listicle, which I love. I've never done before, but we're going to dive in. The first, that's actually point number one I wanted to make. And the first point is aim for emotion. Mm-hmm. You need to aim for the heart whenever possible because I think any kind of engagement with your organization, the initial decision to want to engage, to want to donate, to want to learn more, to want to volunteer is a choice that's made emotionally and not intellectually. You need the metrics. You need the graphs and charts and statistics because people use those to justify the decision that they've made. But they don't make the initial decision intellectually. They make it emotionally. And so you need to be aiming for the heart first and then have the head things to back that up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Later in the process. Absolutely. And David, would you also agree to that Sometimes as fundraisers, I don't know if you've ever done frontline fundraising, but we use metrics as a crutch to avoid the personal. 
because it can be scary to be vulnerable. It can be scary to tell the personal story. It can be scary to put myself on the line and talk about why I care about this mission. And so instead, especially if I'm a greener fundraiser, I'm going to use the numbers as a way to actually avoid being seen. That's fascinating. I hadn't heard that before, but I've seen it. I hadn't thought of it quite that way, but yeah. And I just think it's not going to be successful. You're not going to initially grab someone's attention Mm -hmm. by throwing statistics at them. Okay. So number one, let's go for the heart. You say the heart. I actually say the jugular, which is like, where's the blood in this story? Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Aim for emotion. That was my first one. And how do you do that? Right? Mm -hmm. that, That leads right into number two, my second point, which is putting results in the foreground, the background. Mm -hmm. Where the emotional juice almost always is, I think, in what a nonprofit does is in the work itself and in the results of that work. Showing the people that you've helped and how you've helped their lives and putting that forward and making that the first thing people see. And there's all this other... And that sounds obvious maybe, but there's a lot of other things that organizations do that they put in front of that story. Mm-hmm. You mentioned one, and I actually have a couple of names for these that I see all the time. that are sort of stories that are fronting process instead of results. One of them is, I, I call it the Our Hardworking Team story. Oh, that story, right. That reminds people that they're just paying you know, salaries. No one wants to be reminded of salaries. <laughs> Totally. And like, oh, Mike is great. He's been here for five years and Susan's amazing. She went to Brown and she still loves to do watercolors. And then there's Jim over there and accounting and he's... Yeah, I don't don't care. You know, it's funny. I talk about that. Like, you know, when you're at that cocktail party stuck in the corner with the boring guy who wants to just talk about himself. That's what that is. Frankly, right now, I would love to be at any kind of cocktail party. Uh, okay, but, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> All right. What uh, other names do you have? Well, there's the origin story, mm. which is the one you mentioned earlier. Our organization was founded in 1865 by people with real vision, and they started with the first people to figure out how to put socks on, on orphans or whatever it was, right? And it's talking about the past and it's talking about things that happened and that mm-hmm. were, but none of that means that you're doing good work now. Mm-hmm. It's just history and it's not showing like my money is going to what? To keep the memory alive of good work that was done 100 years ago? Like that's not compelling. That's not a compelling story for people. Yeah, I think the point here too is like we pay for transformation, right? Like the reason we join Weight Watchers is we want to, we're not paying for like the cards I get. We're paying to be like slim and sexy. The reason I buy a Lamborghini is not because I want to pay for the maintenance. It's because I want to drive a Lamborghini and be cool, right? So it's like we need to, you know, data model, buy a Lamborghini, right? That's what the advertising says and that's why. Right. Yeah. It's about the transformation. It's about the promise of the thing that I'm buying. Right. Personal purchases, you're going to make your life better by buying these things. Let me show you your better life. Charitable donations, you're going to make the world better by -hmm. making this donation. Let me show you the better world. Definitely. So it's about putting the outcomes first and not boring people with all of the process stuff they don't really need to worry about. A third one that I see a lot that I think is a real misstep, I call the he's a jolly good fellow story. (laughs) Okay. What's that? Our founder... And CEO is amazing. Been doing this work since he was 10. And he's done this and this and this. And here's a picture of him with the president. And I think that that, again, you're not showing the people you're helping other than you're helping this guy become Mm -hmm. famous 
I guess. And that's problematic for a lot of reasons also because what happens when that person retires? Mm-hmm. What happens now you've built an entire storytelling infrastructure around this one person. And once they're out of the picture, now everything you've made is useless. Yeah, the way I've always thought about that is that classic hero's journey. And right. everyone wants to be the hero. And in your story, if you're making the founder the hero or your staff the hero, you're actually not inviting your donor into the story. Yes, the donor needs to be the hero. Or, or the people that you're helping are the hero. But the point of the outcome is what you're showcasing. But the point is... Yeah, I'm picturing the hero's journey circle, the famous mm-hmm. yep. rap. Yep. And I actually think where a lot of this goes is that call to adventure... Exactly. And the receiving of the sword. Mm-hmm. That's, That's what right. you're doing. The donor is the hero and you are calling them to the adventure of joining this quest and you are handing them the tool to make a difference in the world. By That's joining- exactly right. David, I've always, A, wanted to be Yoda and B, I've <laughs> always told everyone that as a nonprofit, you are Yoda. You are the guide by which the donor is able to realize their wildest dreams, right? You are not the hero of the story. Your donor is. Yes. Or potentially your clients are. But the point is like you as an organization or the founder or whomever should never be the hero. I always saw myself as a Han Solo, but that's really not realistic, frankly. Well, so. that's, you're the hero <laughs> of your own story. <laughs> I like being a Yoda. Though. Okay, cool. So we have yeah. one and two. What's number three? Oh, right. So yeah, first one again, aim for emotion. The second one, put results in the foreground. Mm-hmm. The third one is be engaging, not comprehensive. I think... A mistake a lot of people who are not, let's say, professional storytellers make when they are sitting down to tell a story about their organization is they feel that every piece of information needs to be in every piece of media. Yes, totally. Um, this, is a particular, this is a particular disease among scientists. I work with science organizations a lot. Oh, no. And every piece of data needs to be on every page of everything. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Here's why that doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't work because it's boring, because nobody wants that much information in one sitting. And two, because the goal of a piece of media, the goal of a video, the goal of a brochure, the goal of a web page is not to have you experience that thing and then say, okay, I'm done. That's not the goal. The goal is you finish that thing and you say, I want more now, please. Mm-hmm. I want to watch the next video. Now I want to go to your website. Now I want to talk to your development team. Now I want to come visit your facility. There's nothing left to ask. If there's no more questions, there's no reason to continue to engage. Mm -hmm. So much, much, much more important that you get to the end of a piece and it leads you to want to experience the next thing to want to get mm-hmm. to the next piece of engagement. And if you try and cram everything into everything, there's nothing... Like I said earlier, the worst possible reaction to a piece of media is for somebody to say, okay, it's enough. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No, no more. David, <laughs> it's so funny. I always put things in this context. It's like, if you are engaging with a donor, think of it like a first date. The goal of a first date, if yeah. you like the person, is to get the second date, not yeah. to give them your entire life story on the first date. Right. hundred percent. It's a dance of, of attraction and seduction, I would say. For sure. Ever increasing engagement, right? Like they'll let you know if they'll want the second date and the third date and if they want to commit. Hopefully you'll get married, but you can't force that on the first interaction. I mean, a question I get every 
day and almost all the time is, I want to put a video on my website. How long should it be? My answer always is it should end 15 seconds before it gets boring. Right. <laughs> that's really me. And that's true of all these things, right? Like you're saying, it's about that, about seduction. Drawing yeah. in. What's, yeah. I want more. I want more. What's the next thing? Like a moth to a flame and then they get zapped. Just kidding. They don't get zapped. They just get drawn. And it's interesting too, because I think in an increasingly short attention span era, it is important to really provide that emotional resonance very quickly. Is it not? Well, short attention span and media saturation. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are so many things that a pair of eyeballs could go find Mm -hmm. right now. If you're not grabbing someone and giving them something that they're interested to see right away, they're just going to go watch Netflix or Mm -hmm. go to the next thing. You know, I mean... That comes down to that aiming for emotion again, putting something really emotionally compelling up front, showing something from your work, somebody you're helping, the child whose life you've changed, the parent who can now, whatever, I mean, whatever it is, the dog who you've rescued, putting that up front is where that needs to go because otherwise you're just going to lose people's attention if they're not getting that emotional jolt right away. I often think about it like every piece of information you're handing someone is like a bowling ball. And at a certain point, if you hand them too many bowling balls, they just drop the bowling balls. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, hand them a shopping so, cart next to put the bowling balls in. I don't know. Don't bring the shopping cart. Just bring the arms. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we want to aim for emotion. We want to aim for content that is emotionally compelling. Yeah. Put for, results in the foreground and process in the background is number two. Number three is be engaging, not comprehensive. Mm-hmm. And then number four, I want us to all do a little drawing in our minds. Because this is a podcast. I want us to create a diagram in our brains. So my fourth point here is make the funnel your friend. What is the funnel? Talk to us more about this, David. Some of us may not be familiar with the concept of a funnel. Well, I'm going to tell you. I got this actually from a sales concept. There's something called the sales funnel. And I've adapted that myself into something that I call the engagement funnel. Mm -hmm. And what this is, is a way of thinking about who you are talking to with every piece of media and where they are in their own journey of engagement with your organization. Mm -hmm. Because that's very important. So the way we're going to think about this is I want everyone to think of four rectangles on top of each other. And each, the top one is the longest. The next one is a little bit less long. The third one is less long. And the fourth one is the shortest. And so they make sort of an inverted pyramid shape. Mm -hmm. Each of these rectangles is a different kind of group of people. They get smaller as it goes down. There are the most people in the top, but those are the people who you have the least engagement with. Mm-hmm. The bottom is the smallest group of people. Those are the people who you have the most depth of engagement with. And you have to think about creating pieces of media for each step of this funnel. Now, that doesn't mean you have to make something for all four of these things, though you certainly can. And big organizations, advertising agencies absolutely do. But what it means is you need to think about where in that funnel the audience for this particular piece is so that you can think about what they need to hear. Okay. If that makes sense. So the top, the largest box is the general public. They don't know you from Adam. They've never heard of you. They don't know who you are. The goal of a piece of media aimed at that group is to go from, I have no idea who you are, to I've heard of you and now I'm intrigued. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything else you're trying to do for that group other than get them to say, huh, tell me more, is going to miss. It's got to be that broad. 
a good example of that, top of the funnel kind of engagement pieces are things like subway ads mm-hmm. or like an advertisement in a magazine or like a radio ad, something that goes out mass media to a lot of people. You don't know who they are, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something, there are large nonprofits who do this very well. I remember a subway campaign I saw for BAM, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, a few years ago. And their, their marketing is just gorgeous. They do really, really nice stuff. But they had a subway series that was a picture of a dancer. And it said, BAM, and then it hits you. And then it had a website. That was it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was magical because I looked, it was gorgeous. What is BAM? I don't know. What's going to hit me? I want something to hit me. Let's hit me. <laughs> and it makes you go to the website. So it, mm-hmm. it achieves that goal of, I've never heard of BAM. Now I have heard of BAM and I want to know more. Mm-hmm. That's top of the funnel. Okay. The second one, we've gone from the general public now to your audience is the second stage. These are people who are aware of you. They're already intrigued. They want to know more. And so what we want to do is take them from, yes, I've heard of them to, I know that they do good work. That's the goal there. And this is where a lot of things like videos live, like Mm -hmm. a video on your website, a video that somebody gets dragged to your gala and they're seeing a video at the beginning of your gala the first time. They're getting perhaps a direct mail piece that was targeted to their, because you know that they are up on a e-blast. Through the first stage, you've gotten them on your mailing list, but now you're sending them something. And this has to be all emotion. It has to be really just going for the heart and making them really feel great about, well, man, those guys do great work. Mm -hmm. If they're feeling that, you've succeeded and they're ready to move to the next bucket of people, which are your fans. Now that person, now now they're your fan. They Mm -hmm. believe that you do good work. Now you have to take them from, I believe they do good work to, I want to make a donation. Mm -hmm. I want to help. This is where metrics come in. This is where things like actually showing if you give us your support, this is what we will do with it. Mm -hmm. Where you can talk about, you can give it this level or this level or this level. You can join our president's council. You can do those sorts of direct asks, right? Can't happen until that stage. If you try and put that stuff for the general public, it'll fall flat. Even if you put it in that second stage, it won't work. It has to go in that third stage. It has to be people who are already feeling good about you. Now they're ready to learn what will bring them to actually making a donation. And David, before you jump to the last group, I I just want to jump in here because I say this all the time to all the people I talk to about fundraising is stop trying for the masses. Like if everybody is your potential donor, then nobody is, right? And so I think there's like this misconception, especially I think of late where people are like, well, if I just start a Facebook campaign, all the money will just come pouring in from all over the place. It's like, no, that's not how that works. I mean, maybe we were in like the 90s and no one got email, sure. But I just think we have to be really clear about that there are, are a lot of people out there for whom this is not going to be the thing that they're going to support. And 100%. so who are our fans and what do they want from us? And how are we speaking to them in a way that makes it resonant for them, that makes them look at our stuff and be like, oh yeah, that's me. That's the thing I care about. Yes. Well, I... I want to qualify what you just said. I think there are situations where you can aim for the masses, but it's very difficult and it's very expensive. (laughs) And it it requires that kind of stuff like where you're actually working with an advertising agency and you're doing things like taking out billboards or television ads and understanding that the goal of those things, the only goal of mass outreach is to get more eyeballs on your more specific outreach. (laughs) 
<laughs> to get people to come to your website to get nobody's going to donate because they looked at a billboard and that's what mass outreach is there's steps in between so 95% of organizations you're absolutely right, right. need to be finding specific audiences who have already in the fold and already that you know they have some interest in what you do for sure yeah so we move from the general public to yes. our audience to fans who fans. i would say are donors yes right? so the goal is to turn the fan into a donor once we've done that then we want to turn donors into supporters and advocates so yeah. these are things where you're like all right now you've been donating for several years now we'd like you to give more mm-hmm. why don't you join the president's council Maybe would you like to consider being on our board? Would you like to come volunteer? Can you bring your friends in? Can we throw an event where you bring people in to help? And that's a different kind of outreach. That's mm-hmm. a different level of turning supporters into advocates, let's say. And again, that needs its own kind of thinking and its own kind of... That's a different kind of conversation than something for your audience at large. So I think that's that fourth step of communication. And so the fourth step of communication, I mean... I guess I'm thinking about like what media plays well there because it, it seems to me that as the funnel narrows, it becomes more personal, right? It becomes more bespoke. It becomes one-on-one conversations, not this brochure that I'm going to send you. Is that correct? 100%. Yes, absolutely. As the group gets smaller, they demand more one-on-one attention, mm-hmm. but they still need that emotional kick. Mm-hmm. You still have to provide that for them. I mean, in a very real sense, that is what you are selling. Mm-hmm as a nonprofit organization is good feelings. Mm-hmm. You're in the warm fuzzies business. You are, people are giving you donations in exchange for feeling good about it. And if you are not providing them reasons to feel good at regular intervals, showing them the success that they are engendering, you're going to lose them because they're not getting what they're paying for anymore. I think we're in the business of feeling good. And I think we're also in the business of allowing people to live purpose, right? Allowing them to feel like that they're attached to something bigger than themselves. And to your point, I think in general, a lot of nonprofits do a pretty terrible job of stewardship. Like we don't actually remind people enough of what they're buying, essentially. Well, right. And I think that as people get to the bottom of that funnel, they stop aiming for their heart and just keep sending them statistics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those bottom of the funnel super donors need that emotional hit just as much as anybody does. They Mm -hmm. want to see the work. They want to see the kids. They want to see the bridge that they built. They want to see the well that they dug. And so you have to show that to them. Yeah. You either have to bring them to the site or you have to show them a video or you have to send them pictures. You have to do something. Even as you're sitting down with them, you have to show them, hey, take a look. I have some new photographs we took at the school that you helped build. This is Jimmy. He gets to go to school here. Like They need to see that too. You, it's so funny that you mention it because to me, the people who are at the bottom of the funnel are folks who are on the inside, right? Like the family, if you yep. will, really board members. And, and I think one mistake that I certainly have made as an ED and I see other EDs making is that they don't love their board up enough. You know, there's a lot of sticks, not a lot of carrots. And I think we forget that our board members are actually our number one donors and should be treated as such. We do that to our families too. We We've do. Families that we love them <laughs> and that they're doing a great job because we assume that they already know, but everybody needs to hear it. Yeah, we do take people for granted. And I think this is a good reminder that we actually need to give them that emotional dopamine hit of like, this is why you're doing this. This is all the work that I'm asking you to do is actually for a reason. There's a purpose behind all of it. Well, and you should be creating stories, creating media, creating experiences for your board to keep them 
happy and interested and engaged and get to the point where they want to bring in more people. That's a big part of what we want our boards to do, right? Is tell their friends about us, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you send them a video, then something they can share, Mm -hmm. show other people, you know? Honestly, the number one complaint I hear from everybody is my board doesn't do enough. They're not introducing me to people. They're not opening their networks. And, you know, I think part of it is a clarity issue, which is have you been very frank and clear with them on the front end? That is the expectation. And on the other hand, are you giving them materials and reasons to share a message? And are you making it easy to share a message? Yeah. Are you helping them enough for them to help you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. One last one and it's brief and then I'd love to take questions. So the first four to recap, number one was aim for emotion. Mm-hmm. Number two is put results in the foreground and process in the background. Number three, be engaging, not comprehensive. Number four, make the funnel your friend. Understand where your audience is in that funnel. And number five, dress up for the donors you want. Ooh, say more about that. I haven't dressed up since March. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of these media pieces are how your organization dresses itself up. I think this is how you make a first impression. And there is a couple of things that I see particularly smaller, newer organizations do that I think are real mistakes there. One of them is they have a hesitancy to be positive. Mm. Be positive. Even if you're young, even if you're new, even if you're just starting out, don't lead with, we're just starting out. We hope to be ready to do some important work sometime soon. You know, we've struggled a bit, but now we're turning that around. No, you are doing good work. Tell people about it. Don't be embarrassed to tell people about it. We are great. We want you to be involved in that greatness. Here's the greatness. Let me show it to you. I usually tell people to act as if. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So that's, that's one half of that. The other half of that, of this dressing up for the donors you want, is... Production quality does matter. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to tell people to spend money you don't have. But I do want to tell people to not be afraid to spend the money you do have. Because all of these things about knowing how to tell a good story is supported also by technical questions of how do you shoot good video? What makes a good photograph? How do we choose music that's going to support this emotional thing? And these are all skills that we learn as professionals and that we want to bring to play. And it doesn't always track with money. The more, most expensive choice is not always the best choice. But you really should look at the partners you're going to work with, look at the providers, the storytellers that are going to help you, and choose someone whose stories you respond to. Mm-hmm. Don't go with the lowest bidder. This is not the time for that. This is the time to really try and pick the partner that is going to give you the tools that you need because you're looking at what they've done for other people and you're like, yeah, I want something like that. So... Yeah, I want to leave with that. There is a difference between people who know how to do this and people who don't know how to do this. And this is not the right time to kind of, well, we'll save 20%. I didn't like their stuff as much. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to go for it here, I think. Can I, can I different. Yeah, please. I'd love to riff on that because actually you hit upon my pet peeve, which is ugly photos. <laughs> because oh, yeah. especially now in this day and age where you could literally create something on your computer that looks super pro, there's just no reason to have ugly media. There's no reason to have bad photos. There's no reason to have bad video. Like hire some smart, you know, 15-year-old with an iPhone. I'm sure you'll get much better stuff. I mean, I know. Not if you can afford the real thing. But my point is that there's high production possibility on a very small budget. Well, yes. And also, like, if you have... 
$20,000, but whatever it is. Let's say you have $10,000 budgeted and there's somebody whose work you really like that's $10,000 and someone's work you're really not so sure about that's $4,000, go ahead and spend the money. It's not the right place to economize. Well, I think the other point too, and actually I have a, a guest on this call who I would be sure that he might agree with me, is that the way that we think about expense in the nonprofit sector doesn't always make a ton of sense. In the, in the sense that in the for-profit world, you spend a lot of money on marketing and you spend a lot of money on sales because you have to spend money to make money. And I think yes. sometimes in the nonprofit sector, we often just think of every dollar as a pure expense as opposed to an investment in the future. Well, and if you think about it, if you follow your brain down that rabbit hole of selling warm fuzzies being the business you're in, mm-hmm. right? those media pieces, the videos, the photographs, the brochures, the stories are the product you're selling. Mm-hmm. You have to pay attention to them and give them the attention that they deserve or you really have nothing to sell. You have no way to show your work unless you have a way to show your work. So that's the yeah. five. So number one was aim for emotion. Number two, put results in the foreground, process in the background. Number three, be engaging, not comprehensive. Number four, make the funnel your friend. And number five, dress up for the donors you want. Totally. We're going to open it up for questions because I see a couple coming through. Danielle, what's your question, my friend? Hi. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for saying so. So my question is, you know, we typically have that emotion and gorgeous pictures when we were in person, right? So we have classrooms full of children, classrooms full of teens working with the children, bright faces with their certificates all together in the groups. How do you, like part of our story, and like a lot of folks, I'm sure, even on this call, is that we've pivoted, we've like done things differently now, everything is online, we're still doing the work, but there's so little that we can capture in pictures and video that pops the same way. And have you dealt with that at all? Like, what are we doing in this space? How do we deal with that? Gosh, I wish I had an easy answer for you because this is a constant challenge of my life right now. It is definitely harder. We are actually filming again now. For the last several months, we've got really strict COVID protocols. And I think until things take, particularly here in New York and the Northeast, I think until things take a hard turn again, I think there are a lot of people who can go out and shoot again. But whenever I come up with a challenge like that, I like to think about what is there? What is being done? Right? You've pivoted to online work. What happens in that work? How can we show that? I think people do have a greater understanding of things of like screenshots of Zoom meetings right now and like things that are happening online because they understand that that's the world. And there are ways to show that that are still showing What's happening? You can still show the interactions that are happening online. And I think clever editing, good use of music, good voiceover and stuff can really dress up things like recordings of Zoom calls. You can also continue to use the images you used before in a lot of cases. You don't have to throw them out. You can also look at things like animation to ways to show other kinds of visuals other than two people working together. So... I think it's a case-by-case challenge. It is a challenge, but there are absolutely... Particularly if you're working with somebody who's clever and can come up with some good ideas, there are definitely ways around it. But it's a challenging time. I'm not going to lie. It is for sure. Now, David, given the challenges of COVID, I'm wondering if you could speak about any success that you've seen 
with, I'm just, I'm just thinking about like ESPN during NBA season and having them show videos of people playing horse at home. Is there a world where we can create compelling videos using sort of homegrown, home shot footage? Yes. Yes. And we have definitely done some of that. Uh, we've definitely done stuff where we're just recording people over Zoom and then doing clever editing to make that look as good as we possibly can. And I think people do... It's a look. It, it tells part of a story. I think showing somebody on a computer screen tells a different story than somebody in a classroom or somebody. But it's a story that's of what's happening. We have a client who's a high school in Brooklyn that we've worked with for a number of years, a Catholic high school. And we came in to do a new recruiting video for them just last month. It just launched, actually. And I was really concerned because they do have hybrid learning going on that this is just going to not look great. But we were able to find it. And we were able to do a combination of shooting people in classrooms, socially distanced with masks on, the teacher with the mask on, showing Zoom classes happening. And while it maybe wasn't as immediately beautiful as some of the stuff we've shot in the past, it told the story. The story they wanted to tell was, we are open for business. We have children in classrooms learning and they're engaged and it's happening. And it told that story successfully. So I think let's just think about what the story is. What do we want to show people? What is the work that's happening? And how can we show that in a way that'll show people it's happening and that it's worthwhile? I think there are ways to do it. I'll direct you to our website. It's citizenracecar.com. Feel free to take a look at our work there and feel free to reach out to me if anybody has any other questions, anything else you'd like to talk about. I'm happy to take emails and, and answer any questions anyone has. I actually do have one last question for you, David, which is in this COVID world that we're living in, do you see any particular bright spots that you think are interesting and or any examples that we can look at to inform our own work? Well, you know, another thing we do in addition to video is podcasting. We help organizations set up podcast series, some of which are almost as brilliant as Rhea's show that I'm so happy to be appearing on right now. But I think one silver lining to all of this is because people are at home and because the whole world is digital right now, there's a lot more opportunity to put media in front of people and have them consume it because people mm-hmm. are hungry for something to watch, something to listen to. Some of these long form things like a podcast series where you're putting half an hour content in front of somebody on a regular clip. I think there's a bigger audience for that kind of stuff right now mm-hmm. because people are bored. <laughs> They're home. They want something to do. And so I think this is actually... is Even though it's harder in some cases to come up with what the right story to tell is, you have a more willing audience. So I think it's really worth exploring and finding those stories right now because you have a better chance of finding someone who's willing to spend a lot of time with your content right now than you were a year ago. Yeah. So I think that's something that can be utilized and understood. This is a time for deep engagement with your audience. The people are looking... Not only are they bored, they're looking for something to do. They're looking for some way to help. Mm -hmm. They want to do good in the world right now because they're looking at a world that's falling apart and they want to do something. They're, they're hungry to help. So if you right. can give them an opportunity, if you can be the voice that is telling them, here is how you can do some good in the world right now, people are really receptive to that, I think. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, because if you look at it across the board, individual donations are up. People are really hungry to help, especially in the face of racial unrest, the election that seems like it will never actually end ever. Hmm. <laughs> that's a whole other topic for another podcast. But I will make sure to put your information in the show notes for folks who want to get in touch with you. Citizen Great. Radio Car, everybody. Thank you so much, David. This is a lot of fun. It was such a pleasure. Take care. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a good week. Bye-bye.